song goes out to a special little man of mine in my life. My son, Leo Koliakovo, because today is his sixth birthday. Yeah! We are so happy to be celebrating this birthday with him today. He woke up this morning, probably around 6.30, excited for this day, opened his presents, celebrated with his friends and and his everybody at school and all the things we're going to do today and tomorrow. So I just wanted to make sure that he heard this song because it's one of his favorites from one of my favorites, Kygo. So I know he's listening right now. Leo, Leo. love you, buddy. Happy birthday. Have yourself a great day. Can't wait to celebrate with you. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Happy birthday, Leo. Um, It should come in the mail, the single malt scotch you wanted. um, (laughs) Expect it. What? I know, a little later on Come on, you can't turn my son into an alcoholic. Come on, buddy. Single malt scotch. You have, you know, little two fingers before, you know, to take the edge off. That's it. He's more of a a vodka guy. More of a vodka Uh, fellow? Okay, we'll get you a little gray goose. Yeah. Um, so I want to, uh, again, uh, if you can hit me up with it there, Chris Diavero, give me, uh, give me the, uh, the trust tree, please. What, I thought we were in the trust tree with, in the nest, are we not? I was thinking about that clip, not because me and Amy are going for uh, couples therapy, and I'm wondering about the undergarments at, uh, of a waitress, but because of a piece <laughs> I read in The Athletic from Jonas Siegel about Mark Giordano. And there was one line that one just, you know, throwaway line about how Giordano's had the trust of the coaching staff since the beginning of the year. And he's the oldest guy on the team, and he hasn't missed a game. It's been like he's been a great story for the Maple Leafs. And I'm just curious, from your experience, Carlo, as a player, what are the main things you had to do or or other players had to do? What do you got to do to get into and stay in that coach's trust tree? Well, you know, it's it's a great question, Matt, because – you know, you call it the trust tree for a reason. You have to earn and give respect to the coach. That That's how you gain the trust. But because of Mark Giordano and his experience in the game and um, all the things that, you know, the, 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 the different lessons that he's learned, the different games that he's played in, uh, the amount of knowledge that he's gained playing the sport as a coach – you need somebody to, you know, to, to, to sort of um, relate to, right? You know, Sheldon yeah. Keith played the game of hockey, and you know, a guy with that much experience, you you really trust the things that he brings and trust the things that he says when you're having conversations with him, trying to find out, you know, the things that are that are needed on a daily daily basis and the things that um, are happening on a daily basis. So that's how you get yourself into the nest, the, the, the circle of trust with the coaches is, you know, a lot of it is, is, you know, there, there, we always talk about, you know, lead by example, right? The guys that lead by example, by doing the right things every day, practicing the right way every day, having the right approach to the game, being professional. Those are the guys that coaches lean on for, either information or either, you know, a voice to sort of be a, a, what do you call it, be a guy to to pass the message on to the rest of the players. Because the last last thing you want to do as a coach is be a guy going into the locker room every day and being a voice that your players just can't stand listening to. You need to be a conduit, a conduit between the coaching staff and and the players. Right, and so 
that's what the circle of trust basically is for a coach is you're using you're, you're, you're identifying certain players to bring in that you can trust saying stuff to that you can trust hearing stuff said to you from them that is translating between both the players and the coaching staff so then here's my follow-up have you has this ever happened to you or a teammate and and again if you don't have a specific story don't worry about it i'm always curious i like to pepper you with questions mm-hmm. where you thought you were in the trust tree you were there safe you and marissa and then suddenly she's looking at you funny like as have you ever seen it where you're like wait a minute coach uh, am I not on the trust tree? Am I not on the, the circle of trust? What did I do? Like, yeah. I'm always curious about what does a player do that gets them booted from it? You know what? It, it was a place I always wanted to be in as an NHL player. And and not to say that I was a guy that was a bad apple. Um, I've, you know, I've always had the respect of my teammates, and they always um, prided themselves in saying good things about me because that's how I acted. I always acted like a professional. I always trained like a professional. I always played like a professional. So, But in saying that, you have to earn a certain status on, on every team that you're on. And then when I played for the Maple Leafs, I was a, the youngest player on that team, right? I was a younger guy and sort of trying to find my way with, with older guys. And even before I got traded, Ron Wilson came in and it's funny. I thought I was. I thought I was being welcomed into that circle of trust with Ron Wilson because of yeah. the things he was saying about me coming into the team and the way he treated me. You know, the first couple days of our existence together, and then quickly things fell off the rails. And he was the guy pushing for me to get traded because I just he just oh. didn't see me part of of the solution on that team. And obviously, I go to St. Louis and. The first two years there, I felt like I was in the circle of trust because I I was a go-to guy on that team and um, you know helping you know be in every situation type of guy and you know then then you start moving around every team and when you're a guy that's constantly moving around you know trying to continue to find your way you're you're looked at as an older guy but you're not really looked at as a guy that comes into that circle of trust because usually that's what you you use your leaders for. You know, your captains, your assistant captains, stuff like that. But because I was an older guy, I would always stay informed, whether it was you know, having a private conversation with the coach or private conversations with the players in that circle of trust. So the only times in my career where I really felt like I was a prominent member of that circle of trust was during my junior career in Erie and the World Junior Canada teams that I played on. Right. And, and even in Germany, when I played yeah. my, my two years in Europe – I was in that circle of trust. But because you're not in it doesn't mean you still can't be uh, you know, a very valuable of course. component of it. Yeah, yeah, you can still be a very productive member of, uh, of the team. Completely switching topics. Uh, our next guest in the next segment, Mike Golick, Jr., is uh, going to join the show. Brief career in the NFL, star player at Notre Dame, and just has become, he's a hell of a football broadcaster. He's a funny guy. Um, and he's been on with me. He's been on with you before. He was tweeting the other day. I'm going to read a tweet. Well, now I'm drunk in an airport Chili's, so this was some heavy foreshadowing. He sent all these tweets about being stuck in an airport, finding a Chili's, getting drunk at a Chili's. I want to talk to him about it because, and now you won't know this, Carlo, as you are a more disciplined human being, 
But there is a very dangerous game of getting drunk at the airport. It's a lot of fun because you're about to go on vacation or where, or maybe you're traveling for work. Then you're stuck on a plane for several hours and then being drunk nowhere near as fun. We'll do that. We'll do Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers, a ton to get into. Love when Mike Gola Jr. joins any of these shows. And we'll do that next with Carlo. I'm Cos. This is First Up, coming up in a moment. Always love when our next guest gets to join either me on my show or anywhere on this station. Host of the Gojo Show podcast, former NFL player. It is Mike Golick Jr., his most recent podcast. He's got one of the co-creators of Ted Lasso. Bill Lawrence is going to be on it, so you're going to want to check that out, including some cool stories about Harrison Ford. And who doesn't want to hear stuff about Han Solo? Mike Golick Jr., join us now. Mike, thanks so much for uh, hopping on. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. So, um... I want to start, and I'll allow you to choose, two, well, one topic that's near and dear to my heart, which is drinking at airports, uh, drinking at Chili's or wearing a girdle and publicly showing it to the whole world. <laughs> which topic would you like to start with, sir? Uh, you know what? I mean, it feels like drinking should have led to the girdle decision. It's sad that that was a decision <laughs> that was made sober. So we could start with the girdle if you guys would want, because I understand that even for me, that seemed like a bit of an overshare. Your your father um, did not seem too thrilled, or maybe he was putting on an act on Twitter. He had a tweet, very funny, talking about he ranks all his children. You finish below the dogs. Um, how how did it feel? How did it feel walking around um, with that uh, girdle, girdle just strapped tight to you? Yeah, first off, my dad has no room to talk. That man, the author of one of the more infamous, like, wagers for March Madness where he had to recreate the Kim Kardashian butt photo. Like, oh, you're I'm right. I'm still going to therapy for that. Yeah. <laughs> you're so, right. Oh, my God. Hey, Dad, I learned hilarious. it by watching you, first and foremost. <laughs> but, yeah, you know what? It, uh, what I tell people is the girdle seemed like a good decision at the time. Like, I looked at it and I thought, all right, I'll do my big brothers in arms a, a service and I'll test this thing out to see if this is something that might help, you know, current and former big boys like myself. And what I didn't take into account when I ordered the XL girdle off some, you know, shady internet website was I don't think I accounted for the height factor because I went to put this thing on and it essentially sawed my gut in half. So now I look like I'm just leaking out of a garbage bag, and it's sort of cutting off the circulation in my stomach. I ended up with a bit of a stomach ache, and the worst part was because it didn't go up high enough, and this is where the women in my life who had had experience with Spanx told me, yeah, it's supposed to come up to, like, your bust line right below your chest. Mine's going halfway through my stomach, so I didn't even get the benefit of looking better in clothes. So I think I may have to retire that particular girdle and uh maybe try my hand at that later on lesson learned yeah maybe hey you know you're not always gonna bat a thousand one other quick question then we'll get to all things in the nfl and this is not necessarily about having drinks at chili's yesterday in airport but does it ever feel weird when either yourself or you see grown adults having a hard drink at 9 30 in the morning there's something at an airport there's something about being at an airport where it's like a shame-free zone where if you want to have a scotch before 10 a.m go at it Oh, I saw a guy pounding Sam Adams at 9 in the morning at the L.A. airport once when I landed there. It's one of my favorite parts about the airport. It's it's 
sort of whatever you've got to do to get through it. It's a lawless area. Once you step on airport grounds, you can eat and drink anything at any time, and no one's going to judge because we're all on different time in the airport, right? I don't know when you got here. I don't know if this is a layover for you. So, yeah, no, I think that's my favorite part about the airport is you could see a guy just going through whiskeys at 7 in the morning, and that's completely normal and accepted there. It's a beautiful, accepting place in society. It's a nice loophole. Well, Matthew, we do the morning show. I think we feel the same way when, like, our eating schedule and eating habits at this this early in the morning. I I used to do the 4 to 6 a.m. morning show, and my partner used to eat, like, curry at 3 in the morning. (laughs) And at first, when I was new to it, I was like, dude, what are you doing? And he's like, dude, none of this matters right now. My body clock's totally jacked up. I'm like, all right, fair point. Go for it. I got a pot roast right here so I can see what's going on. Yeah, nice. That's hilarious. Well, let's move into some NFL talk. Um, what do you make of the potential appetite between uh, the Jets and Aaron Rodgers? Um, it, it makes sense at this point, right? When you look at both parties involved, it sounds like a lot of people around Green Bay are kind of sick of having to deal with the will he won't he of this. The last few years have been trying for them, even as Aaron Rodgers has played at the MVP level, the comments he's made away from the field. All these things have led to a point where it seems like the Packers are kind of hoping this happens. And for the Jets on the other side, if you're going to be in a situation where there's really one dance partner for both sides, you at least have the right motivation because the Jets haven't had anything resembling a quarterback that they can count on in I don't know how long. Like, yeah, they went to those AFC championships with Mark Sanchez, but we know Mark's a great guy. It wasn't because of him. And so to have a quarterback who would be part of the reason you win and not just along for the ride at this juncture the Jets are at where, listen, last year their defense took a massive step forward under Rob Sala. The offense struggled as you were rotating through Zach Wilson and Mike White. It became clear you built up a fair amount of good parts of this team And now if you can get a quarterback, the AFC East is at a very interesting place, especially with the Bills regressing a little bit towards the end of last season. So I think you have a team in the Jets who certainly are, listen, it's New York. They're ready to absorb a personality like Aaron Rodgers and feel fine about it. And for Green Bay, yeah, you're probably not going to get everything back that you want out of this, but you still got a chance to get some draft capital out of this and maybe just exhale and start to figure out life after two straight Hall of Fame quarterbacks that both gave you headaches at the end of their tenure. Mike, can you talk about the Jets? Why is their focus on Aaron Rodgers, who may only be available for one season, when a guy like Lamar Jackson right now is on the market? Yeah, so they've put themselves in an interesting spot with this because uh, the Lamar Jackson situation, it was hard to see if this is going to be coming from a mile away. And so if you're the Jets, once you entered into conversation with Aaron Rodgers, right, like you didn't get to be choosy. When you heard this idea that, oh, yeah, this stuff with Aaron Rodgers might be starting, you needed to kind of see this through because, listen, if you take a stab at Lamar Jackson, who's to say that Aaron Rodgers is going to be there on the other side? So order of operations-wise, you kind of have to do it like this where I I said the other day, you start with Aaron Rodgers with, yes, more limited window. You're going to have to try and max everything out now. Like, you know, Odo Beckham Jr. is working out today for NFL teams. That would probably be someone the Jets would have to look at then to try and find bargains at other skill positions to fill out that roster. But 
let's say Aaron Rodgers decides to like shock retire. He just, you know, unpredictable Aaron Rodgers. He says, yeah, no, believe it. And he leaves the Jets high and dry. Now, all of a sudden, as the rest of those NFL teams have raised their hand and said, well, we're, you know, the Falcons, the Panthers, the, the Raiders, not going to be going after Lamar Jackson reportedly. And everyone's wondering if collusion's going on. Now, the Jets could potentially be that one desperate team who could take a swing if this Aaron Rodgers thing doesn't work out. But again, you couldn't afford to take that risk of, hey, we're going to go try and go all in on Lamar Jackson, and then we put out an offer and the Ravens match the offer sheet, and now we're walking awkwardly into this season with Zach Wilson as our quarterback again <laughs> because we missed hey, time Zach, to jump on the Hey, Zach, we still Rogers love you. Situation. You want to be our quarterback? <laughs> oh, I mean, you've had his own teammates out here publicly yeah. campaigning for Aaron Rodgers. It would be tremendously difficult for the Jets to sell that to their locker room, the fan base. So, yeah, you know, I understand the timelines are definitely different, but I think the way that the Jets have started this process already, they got to kind of see it through. How lonely do you think Zach Wilson feels right now? And knowing that a lot of this is on him, horrible messaging when he didn't take really any accountability when the team was losing and not scoring any points. But when you're seeing everyone public, when you're seeing all the skill position players, it's not even some random defensive tackle. It's your number one wide out and running back going, please come here and replace this immature kid. How lonely must it be for Zach Wilson? Man, it's got to be tough. It's a reminder of like the cold business side of this game because all of those same skill players, like they play dependent positions. And yeah. for the guys on defense, they play on a side of the ball. But they, you know, in this NFL, like you're only going to go as far as the quarterback takes you. It's you know, I don't think we're going to get a lot of you know, oh one Baltimore Raven the defense anymore that are able to do what they did and carrying a lot of these teams like. And so yeah, it's got to be very lonely for him. But for those other players, listen. Garrett Wilson had an offensive rookie of the year type season, and he did it with quarterback volatility. If he is going to get to the future he wants where he gets paid, he understands, I need someone consistently better getting me the football. And so, you know, it's a reality for those guys is they want what's best for the future of their career, and they might like Zach Wilson. They might not. I have no idea. But I guarantee they like themselves a lot more and the money that could potentially be coming their way. So it's a reminder. This is the cold calculus of this league. Yeah, no, it, it, it absolutely is. Um, I think you tweeted this out or you retweeted it. Speaking of the cold calculus of it all, I'm a Giants fan, so I immediately get apoplectic. I see the uh, the number 160 million, and, and, of course, I just go full knee-jerk reaction without reading all of the contract because I'm not smart at math. But uh, I see this tweet, Daniel Jones' contract makes a ton of sense for everyone, cap flexibility, some security for the player, and a lot less noise. I get the noise part, but help me out here as a Giants fan wearing my Jeff Hostetler retro jersey. So, you got as always, you, know, you mentioned the devils in the details. And the details of this are... It's a, an incentive-laden contract where Daniel Jones can, I think, make up to $35 million extra dollars based on, you know, team success, them getting to the places that they want to go and him continuing to develop and hitting some benchmarks. Essentially, it's a two-year $82 million deal. And paying $40 million for a, you know, quarterback that on his best day is, you know, in the top half of the league, maybe nears the top 10 if he keeps going at the rate under Brian Dable, 
Like that's going to be the going right now. Like yeah. it, it, we're, we're on the verge of the Justin Herbert contract, the Joe Burrow contract, all of these guys, Lamar Jackson at some point here, the numbers are going to keep going up. $50 million plus for high caliber top 10 elite quarterbacks is going to be the norm. But this number in a couple of years for Daniel Jones is going to look like nothing. And so you get to spread it out over the lifetime of the deal because you signed it. You still get to go out here and keep filling out pieces of your roster that you desperately need in other positions if you're the New York Giants defensively and otherwise. And, yeah, you do have a little bit of stability with a guy that showed enough promise, young enough with enough talent. So you can get out of it after two years. I I see it as a more low-stakes investment in a bunch of different aspects of your team. Mike, you did mention the name Odell Beckham Jr. and that he is working out for teams today. Where do you potentially think his landing spot is? Honestly, the Gi- like a reunion with the Giants does not seem out of question to me because we just mentioned one of the biggest reasons why I have sympathized with Daniel Jones and some of this. People have pointed out, yeah, well, we only threw 15 touchdown passes last year. Who was he going to throw to? Like, we all saw the Giants receiver situation last year. The Kenny Galladay signing just did not net them what they were looking for. Sterling Shepard gets injured. Round and round we go. And so I, I say the job for the Giants now and for Joe Shane in this front office is you've got to go and stack weapons around this guy. And in an offseason where I don't think there's an overly compelling wide receiver market and in a draft where outside of a bunch of slot players, there's not really a, a massive influx of wideout talent like we've seen in recent years. Odell Beckham Jr., even at 30, 13 months removed from an ACL injury, if he can show that, hey, he's healthy, he's recovered some of the questions that we had when he tried to sign before the playoff run last year, if he can do that, he immediately becomes the kind of player that – I think if you're the New York Giants, could be exactly what Daniel Jones needs. Mike, always appreciate when you join the show. Check out the Gojo Show podcast. Easy to spell, easy to find wherever you get your podcast. Bill Lawrence, one of the creators of Ted Lasso, is on it. You are not going to want to miss that episode. And uh, really appreciate, Mike, all the best. Enjoy uh, whatever your drink of choice is at the airport. And and good luck with whatever that next girdle is. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Take care. That is Mike Golick, Jr. On, uh, on the other side of the show, from The Athletic, does such a good job combining numbers, stats, analytics, but actually telling hockey stories. Dom Lecician is going to join us. We all know that Connor McDavid is going to win the heart. What I'm more fascinated about, how much, of the, how much of a gap is there between Connor McDavid and the next best player in the NHL? That leaves talk so much more. And, and oh, yes. breaking news in the NHL coming up. <gasps> breaking news. You don't want to miss it. If you miss what happens next with the breaking news, something horrible might happen. But first try. This is... How soon is now from the Smiths? A request from Mark in Oshawa, Matthew. Good tune. Good tune. Good reminds tune. me, uh, always reminds me, um, try, one of the Adam Sandler movies, Wedding Singer. There's a pivotal scene in the Wedding Singer. They use this song. Nice. Great tune. Great tune. Nice. Well, you know the song I want to hear right now, 20 Fingers? Play it. We tease breaking news before the break, and now we're going to give you the breaking news in the NHL. The Philadelphia Flyers have fired GM Chuck Fletcher, 
And Danny Briere has been named interim GM for the moment as the team says that it will immediately search for a hockey ops and general manager. I think it's safe to say we people should have seen this coming with oh, yeah. how ugly things have become in Philadelphia under Chuck Fletcher. And it just makes you wonder, like, you know, most people knew this team was going to be going through a rebuild this year, and they hire John Tortorella to lead that team through the rebuild. And, look, John Tortorella is not shy of saying things that are on his mind publicly. And this team has not been able to make many changes through the year. Chuck Fletcher was not even able to trade any of his UFAs at the trade deadline. And I think this was the writing on the wall for Chuck Fletcher. Yeah, and I, I hear what you're saying there. It's time to hire John Tortorella to be coaching GM. Nothing bad could happen there. Dom Lasician from The Athletic joins us. Dom, before we get into all things rankings, ratings, Maple Leafs, and the horrible traffic yesterday on the Gardner that you were a part of, uh, your thoughts about Philadelphia making this move at this curious time? Yeah, it's really interesting that they let him handle the trade deadline, let him talk to season ticket holders literally just last week, and here we are a week later, maybe because of how he handled the trade deadline, this is what happened. But it seems interesting that you guys mentioned that everyone knew this would be a rebuild year for the Flyers. It seems at the start of the year that the Flyers didn't know that based on the <laughs> moves that they made in the offseason based on hiring Tortorella in the first place, that they thought they'd be more competitive than this. And I think everyone outside of Philadelphia and a lot of fans inside of Philadelphia knew that wasn't the case. And the fan base has been extremely mad for for over a year now. So I think it, it was due time. And honestly, Danny Briere was my, one of my favorite players uh, to watch growing up. So I'm excited for him to step in as uh, interim GM too. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny. God, just whenever it's always weird when everyone's on one side. Everyone knows what's going to happen. The organization, like, nope, nope, everything's fine. And yeah. well, it usually, but it's, it's like you mentioned, Matt. The timing of it, like you're having Danny Breer step in as interim GM. What is he supposed to do now? Is he sign JVR? Do anything? Sign yeah. JVR to a five-year, thirty-five million dollar deal, no trade clause. And Tortorella's got four more years as as uh, 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 with his contract to be the coach of that team. Like, does the new GM who comes in replace Tortorella now? Like, it's... Tortorella's not surviving. There's no way he's. There's no way he is. Uh, he's uh, surviving that. Um, Dom, I, I'm curious. Uh, we're getting close to, you know, everyone's putting their bets for the end of the year for who's going to win what, and you do your ranking for the Norris and everything. And we all know that Connor McDavid is going to win the heart. That is going to happen, just like we knew Fletcher was going to get fired. What I'm curious about with your numbers and your models, what is the gap between Connor McDavid and the second best player in the NHL? Uh, right now I have... McDavid worth about 5.8 wins this season, which is approaching one of the highest we've ever had during the analytics era. It's not just that he's scoring a million points. It's that he's dominating the run of play. He's been great defensively. He's just been peak version of Connor McDavid. And other players have been good and great compared to previous years, but they just aren't anywhere close to McDavid's level. I have the gap at 
one and a half wins, which would be again the most in the analytics era. So really, if it's not yeah. If it's not a unanimous vote, I I don't know what we're doing. So then, uh, just to put that in context, is that so? The gap between McDavid and the next guy is huge. Is that is the gap between number one and number two larger than the gap between say the second best player in the NHL and say the tenth? Uh. The gap I measured was that it's the same as the second best player and like the forty second best player. Oh my god, really? Jeez. Yeah. Um he's he's on another planet. Wow. Jeez. That is I mean, it's it's you know what? In some ways, that makes uh, Edmonton's win last night even more impressive, beating Boston mm-hmm. in regulation after trailing by two, and uh, you know McDavid only had one shot on net last night. Yeah, he was mostly I want I don't want to say ineffective, but I didn't really notice him as much out there compared to previous nights. It was a, a full team effort, which is what you like to see from Edmonton. You don't want them to just be the McDavid show, just be the dry settle show, and I think. The team's depth is a lot better than it ever has been. When you have McDavid playing the way he has, I think they're a very real contender in the West. So, Tom, we're talking about McDavid right now in the gap. It's clear that he's the runaway Hart Trophy winner. He's going to win the Rocket this year. Let's focus on the Norris because Eric Carlson Mm -hmm. set a personal career high yesterday recording his 83rd point of the season. He could potentially break 100 points. I believe FanDuel has him as a minus 300 favorite to win the Norris Trophy. Is the gap for the Norris Trophy almost as big, as big, similar? Like, where, where, do, you, where, do, you, where, where do you stand on the gap between the Norris the, with Carlson and the next best guy? Uh, analytically, there is not just no gap between first and second. There is almost no gap between first and fifth. It's a remarkable race and it made me write a completely separate piece on the Norris Trophy race. I think a lot of people see how many points Carlton has and it's honestly amazing and he can very well win the Norris this year because of it. And honestly, if he did, I don't think anyone should be mad about that. But at the same time, his defensive game is a problem. He's not very good in that realm. I think that does need to be accounted for, especially when you're talking about the Norris, where the award is for best all-around defenseman, and there might be a better argument for someone else like Adam Fox or Rasmus Dahlin, who don't have the the offensive outputs that Carlson obviously has, but defensively have been much stronger. Joined by Dom Lassishan from The Athletic, and it's, it's always a hard one. Is because sometimes yeah. we get mesmerized, you know, by but, the but offensive. Again, numbers. Matthew, when was the last time we saw a defensive defenseman or a guy that was better defensively win the Norris Trophy? Hasn't it turned Doughty? into an hasn't it turned into an offensive award? I got Drew Doughty, Drew Doughty's name is sort of come. Uh, that, that pops when did to he mind. win it though? Two thousand thirteen. I, I'd have to, I'd have to, I'd have to. Dom, you're smarter than me. When was the last time uh, Doughty won? Why are you asking me? Ask, uh, I, ask Dom. Uh, I, I looked into it because I also have uh, Campus Lindholm up there who has better defensive numbers than Dowdy did at the time. And I think because of how much defensemen are scoring now, it is a lot harder to win having a strong defensive season. I think the precedent is there for Dowdy beating Carlson, I think, in 2016 or 2017. But mm-hmm. it's a big difference from Carlson putting up 70 points and potentially putting up 100. And 
the way he's doing it as well is pretty much all at even strength. Like, he's not just a, a power play merchant out there. He's been unreal scoring uh, at even strength. His gap over his next best teammate might be the largest by a defenseman of all time. I think Bobby Orr and Ray Bork, they're around like 21 or 22 points one year above their, their next best teammate. Eric Carlson could hit 30. So that is a huge argument in favor of Carlson. It's just that this the North should be an all-around award. I think that does need to be considered and weighted, and that's where I think Fox and Darlene have a stronger case than I think they're being cred for right now because their all-around game is a lot stronger. They'll be outscored by Carlson for sure, but they, they arguably are helping their team just as much by being a much stronger presence in their own zone. Don, let's uh, circle back to the trade deadline here. Um, what type of research or at least information did you gather post-trade deadline as to how much the Leafs improve their chances of being a better playoff team? That is that is always tough to say because playoff hockey is, is so different. Um, I think they are a tougher team to play against. I think they are a better team. It's just that the... The East is so difficult, and I don't know if they added enough scoring to compete with a team like Boston on the way there. I don't know if they're as strong as Carolina. Uh, New Jersey could pose some problems if they get to that point, and even Tampa is obviously still a strong team. But I think their their defense is strong. I don't know if it was a huge issue, but it's definitely more, more playoff ready. I'm just worried about how much scoring is going to happen outside of the the big four guys, and for that reason, their their chances of going all the way are probably a little, maybe not lower, but around the same as, as before, and that's because what Boston added was probably a lot better than what the Leafs added. Dimitri Orloff has fit right in. Hmm. Hey, uh, Dom, yeah. always appreciate, read the man's work in The Athletic been a subscriber since day one all the best enjoy the weekend and i heard uh, you were stuck on the gardener for ages i heard it was a horrible day driving in downtown toronto i honestly left the gardener and just parked my car and waited out for a bit <laughs> it was it was that bad it was grotesque wait, wait you mean oh. you you stopped your car on the highway no i got off the highway and parked somewhere else oh okay for I a second right I'm like, oh my exit and i just <laughs> oh, okay. left Oh, my Lord, what a horrible day you must have had. I am so yeah. sorry to hear that. I thought it was such a hellscape. You just got out of your car on the highway and just no. uh, moved on to a Buddha-esque life. Uh, thanks so much for joining the show today. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. Have Take a good care. weekend, pal. Yeah, that is Dom session from The Athletic. And there was just horror stories. Uh, there. It's the first time hearing about it this morning. I didn't see oh, anything last two days. Multiple accidents all over the garden of the 401. If I would have gotten caught in that, I would have lost my mind because oh, yeah. there's just one thing I, I is one of my bet pe- my biggest pet peeves in the world is traffic. I just I, I hate it. I, I can't stand it, and I hate being in it. That's the opposite of you and me. When I see a big traffic jam, I'm never more happy. On the other <laughs> side, time for the FanDuel Best Bets. That's Carlo M. Cause This is First Up. You are listening. Time now for traffic. Today's Best Bets is brought to you by FanDuel. 
Bet on all your favorite teams on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. I like the Miami Heat to win tonight at home against Cleveland. They're a point and a half underdog. Back-to-back at home against Cleveland. Cavs won that last one by four. I see this being a series split. Also, the Cavs have had a couple days to enjoy Miami. I think that works in the Heat's favor. Staying with that, I'll take the under of 25.5 points for Donovan Mitchell against a very good Miami Heat defense. And finally... I think the Raptors bounce back tonight. Nice job by the Lakers. They've gotten some wins. Anthony Davis has put up some numbers. But I think the Raptors find a way to get it done. I think you get a more focused, disciplined version of the team. So I will take the Raptors as a one-point underdog in L.A. Today's Best Bets brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Get your winnings fast when you download the FanDuel Sportsbook app today. Carlo, what, what do you got on uh, on tap for you and uh, your son? Again, happy birthday to Leo. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, no, it's going to be a big day, big weekend for uh, for Leo as uh, we celebrate his sixth birthday. So it'll just be uh, a lot of fun with his Chuck uh, e. Cheese his gathering. No, let's just you take him to the rat. Take yeah. him to the metal rat. Yeah, I'm not really sure. It's a little bit of a surprise, so. Oh, can't say it then. Oh, because he might be listening. Might be. Oh, I like it. I like it. Uh, And uh, Monday. I'll be back with you on Monday, and then then I'll be going back to my show. But on Monday, we're going to have Leafs, Edmonton, Matthews versus McDavid. Do you think on Monday, prediction before we go, do you think Aaron Rodgers and Lamar Jackson, are we still having the conversation of where they're going to end up on Monday? Um... What do you think? Lamar Jackson for sure, I think. Aaron Rodgers has the potential to be sorted out this weekend, I think. Oh, my God, that gets figured out. It's going to be just, you know, the topic fairy never disappoints. Plus, next week, March Madness is coming where we all get to pretend like we know anything about college basketball. It's one of my favorite times of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's March Madness. The, the Fill out the brackets, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. We can't name like more than four players. No, it's like, hey, did you hear Patrick Ewing got fired? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. What else can you tell me? Not much else. All right. Yep. Well, that'll do it. Carlo, it's been fun the last three days, my stepbrother. So you have a great weekend with you and your family. And shout out to producer Christy Avero and Chris Horvat. You guys take care. Carlo, I'll let you end the show in style. Have a great weekend, folks. Been a fun week, Matthew. Stepbrothers edition. Always fun yep. with you. Final words as we depart. Ciao. Ciao.